0: Ladies and gentlemen, I am at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival every day until the 25th of August with Duffy Connors and Sharni Jahan at Drockett Murphy's Bar at 645 Come and see us if you like some laughs. Um, before then, though, we have a very... Well, I say we. I'm the only one doing this freaking podcast. Um... I have a special guest for you guys. His name is Rodders. He's a comedian from Reading. Um, he has his own podcast, the Stand in the Liver Podcast, which is also the name of his comedy night that he runs in Reading. We literally talk about pretty much everything to do with the comedy, to do with the comedy circuit, um, and whether we think the Reading comedy circuit is in a good place. We talk about a competition that we were both a part of, which went, well, as you'll see, it went, <laughs> it went. Um, it was a fun night, and we also talk about the Harry Enfield and Chums show. So yeah, please welcome Rudders.
1: Hi Rudders, how are we doing? Yeah, good. Good morning. No, it's afternoon, isn't it? It yeah. feels like the morning. I, I didn't get to bed till four a.m. Oh. Uh, this morning. Um, So this morning I had a little bit of a lie-in, I uh, uh, listened to the Consumer Hour on BBC Three Counties radio in bed, which is my favourite, it's not even a guilty pleasure, it's something I'm very proud to be a fan of.
0: I don't really get the concept of guilty pleasures. Yeah, you
1: you either like something or you don't. Thank you! I think think once you're above the age of 25 and have any sort of self-esteem, you should just have pleasures. Like, I'm a 29-year-old man and I still enjoy wrestling and something to change. And I still... And I love the Consumer Hour and I like BBC Rogue Traders and all that kind of thing. Mm. And I'm already sounding (laughs) mega defensive. That's fine.
0: I think that wrestling is honestly one of the most overlooked arts of performance. It's because
1: it's done so many stupid things that's put itself into disrepute, but but yeah, it, it really is. It doesn't... It, people watch it casually don't get how blooming difficult, A, physically, and also then you add all the drama uh, yeah. and the, the sort of the acting ability and the making a persona <laughs> and having to do stuff in one take because it's in front of a live audience. Yeah. So there are all these... Uh, It's, I mean, I think it's harder than stand-up in some respects. Have you been to watch it live? Yes, I have. I I went to see Rev, no, hang on, Progress was the last one. Progress and Camden, absolutely incredible. And they're in an interesting phase because all their big uh, main wrestlers have run away to America. So they're now trying to sort of start it again and growing their own talent. But, Mm. blimey you got your 19 quid's worth. It was four hours of uh, body-slamming lunacy in the... uh, Electric ballroom, but uh, but yeah, it's wonderful.
0: I want to go. I want to get tickets to go see WrestleMania WWE when they come whenever they come to whenever they come to London.
1: Uh, well, I don't know if they'd ever do that in London. They did SummerSlam a very long time ago in in uh, in Manchester. Or well, SmackDown, I think it's SmackDown. It be, it'd be good to go. Yeah, it would be. It would be fun.
0: Because um, I watched the I watched the movie about Paige...
1: Oh, I see. to see that. I've seen The Rock's cameo. That was funny. I, I need to... I, I should probably watch I'm very reluctant to watch anything that's longer than half an hour. <laughs> but um, I, just, I just think it's a big time commitment. Mm. And if, if if I lose the gamble and it's rubbish, that's a, two hours of my life gone.
0: I think it's a really well worth, watch- a really well
1: worth watching film. Um, it is meant to be. Like, I've never heard anyone pan it. Even if people who don't really like wrestling have said it, it's very watchable. Mm. Now, it kind of got me... Oh, have you watched Colt Cabana in the Fringe? Go watch him. He does a wrestling talk show where it's him. He's a wrestler (laughs) and it's uh, comedians. Last year it was Brendan Burns. Uh, This year it's John Hastings. And they watch clips of bad wrestling and laugh about it. I mean, (laughs) they they fill the monkey barrel most nights. Uh, I'll be watching it tonight. What time's it on? 11. Eleven. Okay. Plugging someone else's show. What an oh. idiot I am. Oh, no, I, so bad at Mark But it's worth seeing. Like, even if you're not into wrestling, and there's always a contingent of people who have never watched wrestling, and I think in some ways it's even funnier for them because they've got no context to all the madness.
0: I do that. I do that as well. Like when I'm out flyering and I give someone my flyer, and I see they've also got like one of my someone I know's show, like Arnie
1: Pye or Rob Mulholland and I was like, oh,
0: go see them too. They're really good.
1: Yeah, it's not going to stop them coming to yours, is it? So you know, no. it's kind it's, it's nice for people to be nice about each other. That's it.
0: Speaking of which, what got you into comedy?
1: Oh God, I would think I was just very bored. And, uh, <laughs> and I watched a I watched a Jimmy Carr DVD and a Russell Brand DVD, and I think it damaged me. Um, was it irreparably d- the
0: Russell Brand one? Was it Scandalous, Doing Life Live, or was it? I a- think it
1: might have been Doing Life. It was one of the earlier ones before he turned to an absolute bore. Um, uh, before he was, he's now totally convinced his opinions matter uh, <laughs> which is a trap you should never fall into as a comedian because um, your job is a very simple job you just make people laugh and if you can trick them into thinking then you know good for you but it is a trick and it's a, it's a bonus isn't it I just don't like the way he's He's like, well, "Why should I care about what the Sun's shagger of the year thinks about Brexit?" Um, and it just, oh, it's just irritating. But I, I thought at the time he was he was absolutely groundbreaking and just I hadn't seen any stand up like it. And mm. then the polar opposite was Jimmy Carr, very smooth delivery, uh, no no fat or flouncy words, or I so I liked the the two polar opposites on the circuit so I think yes. uh, they I so I, I sort of tried to do a bad tribute to both I used long words and I wore a suit for <laughs> it a couple of years and it was it was a disaster but I, I enjoyed it and it was what got me started and mm. uh, um, that suit is now only uh, um, only um, well, only uh, brought out at funerals now so wow. uh,
0: it's funny you mentioned doing life live because that again that also was one of my inspirations as well watching buying that i remember buying that dvd from hmv going home and just whacking it on and just been completely mesmerized by everything about everything about not just this not just not just the show but like watching him
1: because the whole set was very interesting and all this buddhism inspired just tat all over the stage Mm. and then there was um I know he does have stage presence, so you cannot deny that. And I'm sure even now, I'm, I now even now I'm fed up of him. I'm sure if I went and saw him live, I'd. I'd laugh at the bit where he wasn't ramming down a political agenda which probably would have be about 10 minutes the hour but um, <laughs> uh, yeah no I think uh, at the time I thought it was wonderful he used to love his show on Radio 2 with um, uh, Russell with um, Matt, where, Morgan, Ma- yeah, Matt Morgan yeah Matt Morgan that's the one uh, well to have Jonathan Ross ruined it <laughs> that put comedy back a long way weirdly yeah, enough it uh, did the BBC really just Panicked and didn't do an awful lot for comedy for a long time after, and they've mm. only just sort of started doing comedy again. Mm.
0: Um, so what do you think? Do you think they were in the wrong to? Do, um, I think do, it was a really
1: stupid thing to say, but yeah. like
0: for those of you that don't know, we're talking about the phone call that was made between um, by Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand. Oh, was Andrew it? Sachs. it was, he basically
1: said he wanted to have it off of Andrew Sachs' daughter. Yeah, which is pretty distasteful, but also like I'm sure she could handle herself like yeah i'm sure she could respond and do all i don't think it, i didn't really think it was it's probably the biggest plug she'd ever got yeah um, and then, then and, and she, probably she, she was in a burlesque troupe called the satanic sluts at the time yeah. and that was probably a big advert for them that's but, it i mean i can't say it was a it wasn't particularly funny that's a sad thing i can't defend it by saying oh well, at least it was funny because it wasn't it was just a bit weird to uh and I don't know how old Jonathan Ross is. Must be pushing fifty. On he's always in his yeah, 50s. He's he like a, a fifty-year-old man fawning over. Actually, no, maybe it was wrong because it's an old man being very creepy over a, a younger woman. But I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. But I didn't think it was a good idea. Was it worth the the repercussions? And and it's like. It's just a bit stupid. Why? Why did everyone else get penalised well, for for that? For one show being stupid. Wow! Well, like if, we... if Chris Moyles loses his mind, does uh, Jamie Theakston get thrown off Heart Breakfast? Jamie no. So why? Theakston, why did oh um? God. <laughs> well, that's the first glance the game to have, But you know what I mean. That to people who are completely. Not working with each other. Why would you know, why are the sins of the fathers uh, wrought upon the, uh, the the children? It's not fair. If my if my dad did something awful, why would I get punished? But or the whole comedy scene, uh, or the whole comedy TV landscape got punished for Jonathan Ross's big gob. Well, well, I think
0: that they were. I think they probably were just about to come out with the Jimmy Sav with the Jimmy Savile stuff. So in order to cloud us with something else that's
1: oh, a conspiracy theory it's a
0: conspiracy theory yes but as I thought it's and that's of...
1: true and um, except when they are in the same building have yeah. you ever seen Russell Brand and Jonathan Ross in the same building yes <laughs> I think they're the same person you think they're
0: the same person yeah okay like you think that like John... who do you think's who do you reckon that they're just
1: I think they're both a work of fiction um, okay and I think is actually um, a disgruntled art student <laughs> who has created these personas, um, and it got a bit out of hand, <laughs> uh, as, as things often do. I think I'm delirious. No. <laughs> I was up like, way too late last night, and I couldn't I couldn't decompress after the gig, so I went to a nightclub for a bit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I went wait, to wait. the Hive. It's amazing. Really? I sat there uh, in a booth and watched uh, a very angry Scottish barman tell off uh, an English person. It was great. Oh, no, uh, man. So... What was the nightclub like? <laughs> just like a nightclub, noisy. They played, they played, they played for the cartoons. Uh, Witch Tang, doctor? Yeah, Witch doctor? Oh, amazing! That. And uh, I, then I thought it was time to leave, but I, I can't sleep if I've just had a really, really nice gig.
0: Yeah, but I kind of struggle. I kind of struggle as well. Like, you, you've got to have time afterwards to process everything that's happened, hmm. right?
1: Very or good the, or bad. Or yeah. Like sometimes it's just like you get that. Even it's really weird. Even though I was only doing five minutes last night, but there was this. was a big crowd in, and I was, it was the Alternative Comedy Memorial Society. And it's just like you get so much adrenaline just in getting off of that. Mm. And like the the crowd was so energetic and nice, despite the fact it was getting on for three o'clock in the morning. You kind yeah. of carry their energy with you all the way back to your to your little room you're renting.
0: We had um six people in to our show yesterday. Right, and
1: they were just yeah. six
0: of the loveliest people. Well, six that's of the... all right,
1: isn't it? Because imagine 100 um, knobheads. Oh, I, I, you... oh, we've had that. <laughs> we've had, had that. 100? We've had... Well, yeah, we've had... Cause, um, well, it's a big fifth... room yours, to be fair. Yeah, it fits 300 in. I wouldn't want your room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just... Uh, we're talking about Dropkick Murphys. It's It looks like an aircraft hangar, and it's yeah. very large. Tables, yeah. chairs all over the place. I think if you're... Unless you're a very, very big personality, I don't see how you can... It's very difficult, that room. It is difficult,
0: but for me, it was honestly the best room to do it in because I've now grown... I feel like I've grown so much as a comic.
1: It's not too dissimilar from the After Dark Nightclub we did in Reading. Oh, yeah, let's kind go of, to that, yes! Kind of, kind of, kind of cavernous and strange seating arrangements and, and, a, and a bit of a peculiar vibe there were rocking horses in the audience yeah well they, <laughs> they'd paid and we can't discriminate <laughs> <laughs> I think were... I made the point that well there were two on stage and I said that I made the point that I, I always want two rocking horses on stage in case of rocking horse failure yeah um, <laughs> So I had a backup one
0: So, yeah, after Dark Comedy Club in Reading. That was fun. I am so looking forward to going back. (laughs) Um, I was watching on your Instagram the other day, your little clip Mm. where you went after the judges. That was... (laughs) Honestly, I loved it because it's true. Those people have never done comedy before, yet they are judging
1: us on our ability. Yeah, I mean, it kind of. I, I know I, I, you can see to be judged the second you get up on stage, and yeah. it's an audience, an audience is allowed to judge. And, you know, I can have opinions on the Iraq war, but I've never been to Iraq. But at the same time, there is something very hoity-toity about people calling themselves judges, getting up on a stool, and. Um, so yeah, my, I thought, I can't remember what my point was. My my point was, oh, uh, are they going to get up later and show yes. the amateurs how it's how it's done? Yeah, um, that was more or less my my point. Um, <laughs> I I wasn't really. I I didn't want to have a go at the judges per se. I was just a bit grumpy, and also I just wanted to put out there that actually it's quite difficult doing comedy. Yeah, and there's a reason a lot of people don't do it, mm. and there should be a little bit of. Uh, not not reverence, but that that should at least be taken into account. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, it's one of those nights where I got stuck on first as usual because <laughs> uh, I'm cursed, <laughs> and um, and so I just thought, oh well, sod it, I'm just gonna gotta go for it, gotta do something, haven't I? Mm. And it was uh, I I did enjoy it I, in the
0: end. I'm hoping to. I'm glad. Well, my voice had my voice had completely gone at that on that at that point. So that was... I remember, I was thinking, oh, does he normally sound like that? Nope. <laughs> no, this is... But that was a really, really, yeah. It was just a weird night. But I kind of loved it. Well,
1: it's one of those rooms where you have to have done a few gigs and you have to have enough confidence and presence Ooh. and just stand there and kind of face them down. Because if you paused for long enough, they'd laugh. Yeah. Except in the moments that they didn't. I'm not saying everything I did landed, but the bit I could have, if I'd been more nervous, if I'd panicked, if I'd rushed the gags, I don't think I would have got the number of laughs that I did. Let's close that. We're being, yeah. We're being drilled.
0: Yeah, we're being drilled, literally. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, they were they were a game audience, though.
1: Yeah, like you can't fault the audience. It was just a very, very strange room, and it was a... Um, it's it's one that doesn't often have have comedy in. No, so, but,
0: but yeah. that doesn't mean to say that it's a it good was, challenge.
1: Yeah, I was, thought Nick Bayard did an interesting thing where he just got off the stage and played it on the floor in front of the dancers, yeah. and then for some reason the gig then migrated down there. I yeah, that was a if uh, that's one way to take control of the space.
0: That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. Shit, Nick Bayard was on there, and um, Craig was and Craig was on there as well. Uh, Craig.
1: Craig Revel Horwood, no, no, not Craig. No, no. um, Carl Richard. Carl Richard. Is it Carl Richard? Was
0: Carl Richard was on? And they started trying to film. They tried to film our sets.
1: Oh yeah. I'm fed up of that happening I got um, I once, the best one I had was in oh, I think it was somewhere near Pimlico in London um, and someone started filming in the front row so I politely had a go at them and I think I made the point that they were watching it on the world shitters TV <laughs> they might as well experience life it. it turns out she was a world famous travel vlogger oh. and now I'm in a travel vlog because uh, we had a chat after I thought oh yeah so that use the footage and it's quite <laughs> funny because she, she just put it in unedited the bit where I have a go at her <laughs> 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 so it was a uh, it was excellent.
0: That's, that's cool. But I, what they don't seem to understand is that this is our intellectual property. And I mean,
1: you wouldn't, The thing is, like, I know sound's very different and it involves an awful lot more alcohol on the part of an audience, but you wouldn't, uh, the things audience members do uh, in comedy you nights, know, you wouldn't dream of doing in a the theatre. No. Although, there has been cases of actors in the West End. There's more and more stories in the papers now about East, uh, West End actors just storming out because like, the audience have been urinating in the corner just on their phones all the time. We're just not paying attention. So I don't know, maybe people just don't know how to behave anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very middle-aged. But I, th- I think there is a, um, an increasing problem of people watch stuff on the TV and then don't really know how to respond to stuff when it's live. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah,
0: I just think that they don't understand that it takes... A lot for us to, well, it takes a lot for us to sit down and write something and then to perform it. And when we're performing it, often it's not finished. If that makes sense. Mm. So if they put it out without our consent, they're putting out something that is
1: half finished. Half finished yeah. and then that can cause a lot of problems for us. It's like there'd be outrage if someone stole a manuscript that J. K. Rowling was working on of Harry Potter and the I don't know, the shameless magical cash in Yeah. Or if someone leaked that <laughs> there'd be outrage and people would come at our side. But if you nick someone's joke <clears throat> um then uh, or nick nick a bit of footage and throw it out there then. It's, uh, no one originally seems to give it the same reverence yeah um, it's a weird thing about joke thievery and our well I don't want to say our industry my memory it. is not even if I wanted to nick a joke my memory isn't good enough to do it yeah so like yeah. I, I can barely remember my own material yeah that's true um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Also, morally, it's, it's an issue as well. I mean, yeah. maybe if practically I had the resources to, I'd be the biggest joke thief in the world. Because all you've got to do is get it online first. Yeah. Because once it's online and got a few hits, you look like the one who's got got to it first. Yeah. And it's very like if I if Jimmy Carr and me came up with the same joke at the same time, I would have to try and get it out. No, yeah. Or I'd have to. No, well, now I'd have to concede to him mm. just because it's. Because more people know who he is. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd more likely, even if it was my joke, I'd, pro- I'd probably have to. I couldn't prove it was joke thievery. And if it was, th- it's not joke thievery, it was coincidence. We both wrote a joke about a pancake. Um, <laughs> the fact that he's Jimmy Carr means he has, I'd probably just, he'd be able, he'd, I wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Have you written a joke about a pancake before? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've talked about an awful lot. I don't know what... I, I have a rough idea and I sometimes have notes on my hand, but then I get up there and often I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I've done until I watch it back the next morning on film or listen to the audio. Uh, uh, so probably, I probably have done a diet. Is the word diatribe? Diatribe? Like diatribe, a, yeah. Yeah, I've done a diatribe on uh, pancakes, probably. I, I would not put it past me. <laughs> but... Like, yeah, it's... resisting the urge to do a pun about battered <laughs> um. so what's been
0: um, in fact do you know what what was your first ever gig
1: uh, it was in a sixth form uh, my sixth form to be precise I told you I was, I was very bored I would watch <laughs> two DVDs and I, I wanted to have a go and I, I'd I was the thing is, I started comedy, and then I stopped while I went to uni, and then I picked it up again. So when I say my first gig was at age 16, it doesn't mean that I've been doing comedy for 10 years. No. I mean, that's when I first sort of uh, had a go at it, had my foot. First... And I set up a performance group, because I had a really lovely drama studio, with proper lighting room, proper stage. Looked beautiful. Um, and it was a sort of place that would charge seven quid for the school jazz band. So if you put on a free night of entertainment, some of my mates did... Uh, we called it... It's like a comedy review type thing. Mm-hmm. We called it Stand and Deliver uh, after the Adam and the Ant song. And we... And also,
0: that, that is the name of your podcast.
1: Exactly. And my, my comedy night. Um, so it's that's where it all came from. Because I, I like that. We used to play Adam and the Ants at the beginning of it. And I think my friends uh, did sketch of Monty Python, there was just monologues, uh, duologues, etc. And then I came on and wore a suit and did my first ever 10 minutes of sound up. How'd it go? Well, everyone was on my side in the room, so I I didn't do terribly. And I think I had a few couple of a couple of good gags but it wasn't it wasn't I can't say it was amazing but mm. at the time it felt like it I felt like I, I knew how to do I felt king of the world and, yeah. it, it, and it went certainly well enough for me to want to have another go at it and then I, I didn't really then I used to do sporadic gigs and then while well, I went to university and I used to sporadically do the odd gig when I was during the holiday mm. and you can't really build any momentum when you do that just gigs here and there uh, and I didn't really start doing it properly until I left university and that's when I had uh, uh, more time uh, to do it and more financial resources to throw at a First Great Western Mm -hmm. to take me to set gigs. (laughs) So what's the comedy
0: circuit like in Reading at the moment?
1: Well, Isreading's quite a, a small town, and it very much isn't part of London, despite the fact London is trying to swallow it up. And mm-hmm. uh, I do get annoyed with London Acts asking me if they can use their Oyster card there. The the answer is categorically no. But there's <laughs> about five nights. Most nights are monthly. Um, mm-hmm. There is well, there was the, there was the jungle, isn't it? now that's, that's highlight. So there's the Every Friday and Saturday, there's that big, big uh, professional night. And then you've got a handful of open mics. There's, there's, there's a couple of miscellaneous open mics where anyone can get up and do anything, which are very, very useful, sort of new material. But the actual comedy nights are some pro comedy nights and some semi-pro comedy nights, and they're generally monthly because that seems to be, with the size of town, a Reading, that seems to be what it can support. And I think if you run a gig more than monthly without a massive marketing budget uh then i, I think it would be incredibly difficult mm. um but yeah the people are reading are actually very supportive because it's on those towns where there should be a bit more going on and there's a real appetite for culture so if you put something on and you shout loud enough people turn up and support it uh, mm. it's, it's quite it's, it's a nice town in that that respect so once you Once you uh, break into people's consciousness, and uh, that sounds sinister. Once people are aware of you, then (laughs) it it doesn't take too long to build a rapport with with the people. And uh, they're they're, they're nice about it, and they're they're very supportive. And I think there's a lot of people in Reading that just jump at any opportunity to go watch something fun. Mm. So
0: how was it for you performing at the Reading Comedy Festival? You open for the guy that won the After Dark. Oh
1: right? yeah, it was a bit of a nightmare to be honest. <laughs> with you. Um, same same venue. I, I talk about it at length at my my own podcast, but um, I will I will paraphrase because I've I've already gone into this story many times on my own show, and it's it's a bit. I don't want to bang on about it, but um, they let in a woman who was basically far too drunk. First thing she did was to do jäger bombs at the bar. Oh good. Um, and we had a decent crowd in numbers-wise. I had about 20, 25 in, which I, which considering that the show was quite last-minute, so good on the reading Fringe for getting them in. Yes. Uh, but this woman was just dreadful. Um, and she just wouldn't shut up, and it, they shouldn't have really let her in and I'm not sure if they would have done had it been in the theatre uh, performance no, of course not. and I was also putting myself under a lot of pressure because I'm really good friends with Lucas and I wanted to do my absolute best for him and I don't think I managed it so that was, uh, I was annoyed at myself I was annoyed at the, the situation uh, but I guess these are the gigs that make you make you stronger that's uh, it and I, I yes I, I did have words with the, the said lady after the gig, which is something I never normally do, and like, well, you have to listen to my podcast to find out. Uh, good, about for <laughs> but, good for Exchange
0: Good for you, though, for actually taking a
1: stand. But, uh, yeah, I just thought, I thought it's just ridiculous. She just, uh, I mean, it wasn't malice. She was drunk, but like, she was just so unaware. And you get yeah. that a lot. You get people who are just totally unaware.
0: It's not that they mean badly. It's just that they just
1: I have no idea about what effect they're having on on people. Um, mm. And it's. I can't remember. I was told a story about a professional comic who'd had a really annoying evening with a heckler, and afterwards they were like, "Oh yeah, I really enjoyed that," and their then yes. response was, "Well, I would have been an awful lot funnier if you'd shut up. I can get a laugh every every, you know, one point four seconds or whatever it was if people don't get in my way." Um, so yeah, if you just let the comics do their doing their job, yeah, um, what was it? Yeah, it was quite difficult because you had the drunk contingent at the front, and then the rest of the room was stone cold sober. So you had two polar opposites, and then every moment that was taken up by the drunk was uh, attention taken away from the rest of the room. So it's just very easy to lose them. So um, mm. I, I I think I was meant I was meant to do seven, but I think I did about seventeen to twenty because <laughs> I wanted to get the room in a fit shape for Lucas to do his his show. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, it was, a, it was a quite, a, quite a difficult one. But you but survived it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you very Dying on stage is normally figurative uh, in, in a couple of, there's a couple of notable exceptions. Ian Cognito. And um, Tony, um, um, what's his name, Tommy Cooper. Tommy Cooper, and not like Tony, that like this. Tommy Cooper, yeah. Um, but it, they weren't dying because of the veracity of a heckle. Underlying health condition, (laughs) so you are going to survive, and that's totally. Some gigs I've had much worse gigs than that, but that one I think upset me more. Yeah, Um, and I think it's just about trying to think. Oh well, you're only only another gig away from a good gig, um, and all you need is one gig to blow the memory away, and you know that when you come back to that. If you're very honest with yourself and once you've given yourself a few days to calm down Mm. you can think well how can i handle that differently and then when you're confronted with that situation again um you'll do it better and i dealt with that situation better than had i been given that scenario a year ago yeah so uh, as long as i'm not getting worse then i I don't think i can i i I don't think i should berate myself too heavily Um, as long as i'm honest
0: I was speaking to um, our lead, the lead in show, um, the guy who does the leading shows of ours, Masai Graham, right? And <laughs> what he said is just so true. It's like you don't learn you learn from the bad gigs. You don't always learn from the good ones.
1: That's very true. What what did you yeah? What can you learn from a good gig that um I think maybe oh that bit works better than I thought maybe. But it's all very general stuff. It just yeah. gives you a good confidence boost. Yeah. Like um yeah you're right. And when things go a bit wrong and you have to work. Hard. Then that is the. Um, that, he's right with that one. You don't learn well from success, unfortunately. No, you learn from the hardships, and that's. Unless you can pinpoint why that went so well. Yes, yeah. you can be real. I think generally though he's right.
0: Yeah, but I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the part of the fun of doing stand-up comedy, is. It not working, and then find, and the build-up
1: to ha- and finding out how things actually that's work. That's true. Like, if I wanted to, the same thing to happen every night, I'd go be an actor. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Learn, but I can't learn lines. It's just like, yeah, I like the element of danger. So why I don't like comedy on TV. I don't really watch live at the Apollo or anything <sighs> of that nature, because it's just, there's no element of danger, uh, because it's all been edited, edited, and they wouldn't let anything happen that was that bad. And then... Um, it's the same with 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 panel shows and it's the same with even even theater tours like a lot of them are they're cut from the best of mm. uh three different shows i like the comedians who are just very honest like paul foot's latest d well he's only dvd some idiot gets up to go to the toilet and leaves the midway through the through, through the show and paul's like oh don't worry we're only recording a dvd and, <laughs> and it's just like the fact that even at that level that yeah. kind of crap. Still happens. Yeah. It's really kind of encouraging, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it just—it just makes it so real that that. Um, but they just left it in.
0: Well, I'm saying that, I would happily go and watch a panel show being filmed because. It just looks like such an interesting, di- it just looks like such an interesting dynamic because I know they take about two hours to film. Yeah, and they, they cut, cut
1: the, um, and they, 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 cut most of it out. And they've got, um, I, I went to, I used to go and watch uh, a lot of radio panel shows and sketch shows being recorded at the Radio Theatre mm-hmm. in uh, uh, BBC and Oxford Circus because um, free tickets. Yeah. Was, that's fascinating. And also, I, I I'm a, I'm a bit of a radio anorak. Um, right, I used to be my job. I used to be on the radio. Oh, nice. I'm still intermittently on the radio. Um, weirdly enough, mostly in Portugal, but no, that's still, that, that that bug never leaves you. Like you still, I've, I've still got, to, you know, find it very interesting. Um, when
0: did you start doing radio?
1: Um, I did internet radio shows from when I was nine. Uh, I was on hospital okay. radio for twelve years, and I was full time in radio for about six, mm-hmm. uh, presenting, producing, travel news, anything I could lay me hands on, anything that kept me by my microphone. Mm.
0: So. What's the differences between being on the radio... Well, obviously, there's doing stuff... Well, obviously, you're not doing it in front of an audience, but what's the emotional differences between being on the radio and doing stand-up?
1: Um, they're both pressure. You've both got to keep to time. Yeah. Um, I do... Usually, unless something goes wrong, I do pride myself on sticking exactly to time and that's because of radio because you have to back time to the adverts otherwise mm. the whole thing goes wrong and if you miss the news, then everyone goes mad. Yeah. Um, although, someone did make the point to me once, no one's looking at their watch going, Whoa, this news is five minutes late, <laughs> but your your bosses, so you've got to be very good at timing. And I guess on in stand-up, I, although I'm not in a hurry to play the next Bruno Mars record, No. Um, I, am, I am still trying to... Get through a certain amount of material in in allotted time. Mm. Uh, they're stressful, but for different reasons. Radio is quite weird because it's quite there's no atmosphere. It you. I was didn't have a co-host. I was just usually just on my own. Usually I used to I used to often do cover silly shifts. Like I spent four hours on air on New Year's Day. There wasn't even a newsreader in. I was the only one in the whole building. Um, and where uh, the radio station was up above a shopping center, so it was all mm. a bit weird, really. So. All of the pressure is in your head because there's no one. Probably you don't even know if someone's listening unless people text it, and you don't Mm. even know if people. You're kind of detached. So there's that. That's quite an an unnerving thing about it, Mm. Um, and the fact that you imagine your voice booming out of car radios and in kitchens across the 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 Basingstoke area at the Mm. time. Um, But stand up, it's very much you're thrust into a situation rather than you're trying to. Projector situation, I think.
0: I think radio with um, with the uh with the outbuster podcast now, I think radio is sort of a dying form.
1: Well, it's weird though. Although after uh, like, sorry, is radio is very good at justifying its own existence. So they bring out a lot of studies. fact, sort uh over oh, I can't remember the stats. It's something ludicrous because like eighty percent of people still listen to radio more than once a week. Mm. Um, and people like Radio 2 has millions, literally millions of listeners. On Virgin Radio, Chris Evans has millions of listeners. Radio 2 is the most listened to radio station in the world. Uh, no, Sorry, not the world, the, the, in Europe. in Europe. Uh, I don't know what the most listened to in the world would be. But it's like in certain age groups, I don't really know how it hangs on because I've got a bit, I, even though I'm an anorak, I've got a bit fed up with radio. Mm. If I want music... Uh, I've got my Spotify subscription if I yeah. want to talk, I've got podcasts where people will talk about exactly what I'm interested in. Um, and it got me thinking, like, how would you explain radio to someone who'd never heard of it? It's like, oh, well, you can listen to music. And they were like, oh, great. Uh, but, but you can't choose the music. Uh, and, and also, they've only got about 10 songs. And then every so often, uh, they'll play uh, somebody trying to sell you double glazing <laughs> for three minutes. And then somebody will pop up And say something in aim and uh, do a quiz where you can win—I don't know—your own body weight in ketchup or (laughs) something—and then they'll probably play a song you're getting a bit fed up of. I mean, I don't really know what the selling point is anymore, other than it's—I like radio because you can just switch it on and leave it. I don't have to worry about selecting um, a playlist or what have you. But Mm. to someone who is who's young. Uh, how would i explain to it I, would a, would a like an 8 year old find the idea of radio ridiculous now i don't know like i don't know many 8 year olds bring me an 8 year old <laughs> i'd like, I, will, I will conduct that experiment i because <laughs> the only reason they'd ever listen to radio is if their parents did it yeah. and then when if they don't it's habitual i, I listen to radio cuz like um people around me always have so i guess it's you, you pick it up as a habit if that habit isn't being passed down um, you know, I guess, I guess, um, because if you brought up in a household where nobody watched telly, mm. it wouldn't be until later on in life you'd, you'd, maybe you wouldn't never, you'd never watch it. Yeah,
0: I just think that we are starting to wake up a little bit now, and having people tell us what we can and cannot say on air is
1: not. It's not seen as okay, as as okay as it was back in the day. Well, they were doing a lot more self censorship now. I think we're now a more prudish and more easily to upset society than ever. Despite the fact we've now we're well, podcasting, there are no rules. There is no yeah. Ofcom. There's no. Um, but I think people are more and people are obsessed with demanding apologies. Like there's a comic now who is just he just. Um, I I wish I'd read the article properly, but he he made a joke about Tourette's and now a Tourette's charity demanding an apology. I don't know what the joke is. Maybe the joke's really horrible, so I can't really have an opinion without reading it. But, like, I'm very dyslexic. People make dyslexic jokes all the time. Uh, I don't find it... I find very few of them funny on the grounds that they don't have any understanding of what What it's like. But I'm not going to... I don't want an apology. I mean, who'd be bothered with that? I mean... It's a very good way of the charity getting publicity, I guess. Yeah. But I don't understand this whole, Oh, you must apologise! Because um, if you're made to apologise mm. to something, it's, it's meaningless. If I say something truly terrible, if I say... Oh, what can I say that won't get me arrested? If I say <laughs> everybody who has a gas oven is a Nazi... Yeah, uh, and suddenly the 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 gas oven society are up in arms, going, well, actually, no, that they're though they're, they're, they're actually more environmentally friendly than you think." Mm. And you know, how can you say that? And we demand an apology. And I go, "Okay, I'm sorry. I called everyone who has a gas oven a Nazi." Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I'm sorry. No. it just means I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I'm suddenly being pressured into apologizing. It's
0: because we live in a council I, culture. I still
1: had the had the had the, the thought that people who have gas ovens. A Nazis mm. and why can't I have my own They'd just leave me to have my it's obvious that's an extreme example but just like I wouldn't expect somebody with a gas oven to like the fact that I'm calling them a Nazi but surely they could just say I think well that's their misguided view let's let them get on with it mm. um, I know, yeah. it's
0: because we live in a council culture Bruce speech anyway. yeah Bruce speech <laughs> but no make them pay for it <laughs> But one quid in the is. But what people don't like, yeah, we live in a cancel culture, and people, as I said, want free speech, right? But what the free, but well, what the free speech people don't understand is that free speech also. I, I don't think people do.
1: People don't want free speech. People want everyone to agree with them, and free speech is a good guys. Free speech is also a really good way of covering up lazy comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you want to go watch Laura Lex's... Um. Uh, show knee jerk. I, I'm. I'm. I shouldn't have gone into this topic. Just saying. Oh, lazy comedy. But I'm not saying she's doing lazy comedy. Her show is is brilliant because what she's basically says. He says nowadays there's no one in the middle and everyone's stereotypes. You're either left wing or right wing. Yeah. And you can't be. I don't know. Left, uh, you can't be Green Party on the environment, but then also think you should have the death penalty in some circumstances. Mm. You can't. You're just not allowed to have that. And She makes, and she like she's the only comedian I've heard in a very long time who's managed to say something sensible and down the middle about Brexit and politics whilst making it blooming funny. I mean, I really, I, I really got my nine quid's worth out of that show. Um, really, and uh, considering like she's she's a top, she's a top club comic and. It's just amazing seeing what they can do We've given the extra 40 minutes. Um, is it 40? What's 60? Six, what's, what's 20 minus 60?
0: Four, wait. Cause normally four, a club comic six, 20. Wait, 60 minus 20, right? Yeah. That's...
1: 40. Yeah, I was right. I should have more faith in my maths ability. woo um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing what these uh, these professionals can do, like, what she could do with that extra 40 minutes. Um, although I thought, oh, this is... I've learnt and I've laughed. Mm. And it was a very nuanced kind of approach to And it's, it's a blooming difficult topic, because when you say Brexit, everyone just goes... Ugh! And there's so <laughs> many... Also, comedians seem... Obsessed. Well, audience members as well. Everyone's obsessed with it, but no one really wants to talk about it. Like last night at Lolbot Wars. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I mean, I'm saying that um, there's a bit where in the in the robot wars themed comedy competition, where audience members write down on uh, whiteboards topics for us to improv about, and somebody wrote Brexit, and the compare Elliot just went, "Why?" and he goes, "Um, I thought it was topical. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say he was interested in it, or he didn't think, oh, maybe it will get some good material." Um, I don't think you can make a good Brexit joke
0: anymore. Apart from well, maybe Laura Lex can, but I have yet to hear one which hasn't turned me off completely.
1: Yeah, uh, I think what what she did, she had a go at both sides. Um, she did like very silly caricatures of, of both sides, uh, one after the other, like they were having a discussion, and it's kind of highlighted the the absurdity. Mm. Um, but but yeah, uh, free speech. <laughs>
0: there are only but saying that there are only a limited amount of things that I like that there are only a limit limited amount of topics that can actually be that can actually be talked about because there's a finite number of things.
1: But I guess so, but there's lots of things that, but think that most comedians talk about the same five topics. There's relationships. There's Politics. Yeah. There's not that, and there. Uh, whereas, I don't know Paul Foot, is my favorite comic. Does a whole uh section about uh a hobby horse. Nice. And a Shire horse, and d- d- there is comedy. You just need to have a good brain, and you need to not be lazy. I think that's it. There's, there's comedy everywhere. It's just I don't. I, and sure, there there's finite, but I think there's billions. There's if, billions of there's, ways to there's, there's talk about. There's so many me- that it should like. The universe is probably—is the universe finite? If they say the universe is finite. That's probably a controversial thing. But the universe is finite, but it's so bloody massive, and we're so small. It might as well be infinite. Mm. Um,
0: so, yeah. yeah. So there's, as you said, well, yeah. Do you know what? There are there are billion, There are loads of things to talk. There are a finite number of things to talk about, but there are infinite ways in which you can talk about them. Yeah, like, I think that's and I think that's the issue, especially on the open mic circuit. That a lot of people are taking the lazy route. To well, base. you and
1: also you learn just by copying to a degree. Like you, you learn by sort of mimicking your idols, mm. and then hopefully you develop your own style along the way. You know, mm. originality is very difficult. You're, you are right. This is a bit deep for was it Tuesday afternoon? Oh, it's fine. But <laughs> someone needs to make a knob gag quick. <laughs> Bring it back down to earth. <laughs> just go to any open mic gig. <laughs> oh, dear.
0: But yeah, like. Speaking of that, um, do you know, taking away from comedy for a second, how um, how long have you been climbing for?
1: Uh, five six years. I started my last year of uni. Sweet. So
0: yeah. So what got you into climbing? Like what?
1: Um, I got uh press ganged into it when I was in a student union and rather inebriated. Oh, God. But also, also like the fact that I was succumbed to it meant sort of unconsciously I wanted to do it yeah. I've always wanted to have a go yeah. and I'm very dyslexic very dyspraxic terrible at oh same skills. I'm dyspraxic it. it's terrible isn't it walk into yeah. you know, everything and fall over things um, yeah. my handwriting is, is um well don't go there. It's shocking but yeah. <laughs> um, so like I always wanted to have a go at it and then suddenly I was given an opportunity to and it's just it's a really nice thing because you kind of just compete with yourself mm. and everyone because so, it can be very dangerous yeah. people don't tend to be knobs because you don't want to climb to trust someone's life with someone who's, a, who's Pratt. Yeah. So I, that's I, understandable. So I, I just, um, I'm getting ready. I went climbing yesterday actually. I found a bouldering centre. Um, oh, nice. you know, and, uh, tomorrow night I'm going to Rafo, which is, um, Scotland's international climbing center it's like cut into a massive rock face because i've uh, i've made a climbing buddy i just put out on facebook <laughs> and i found a guy who runs a printing shop in edinburgh I must be raking him of all the flies yeah, and we're, yeah we're driving off tomorrow evening to go climbing oh nice. if i had more time we'd actually go outside and get on the real rock but but we don't because he works till four and i'm meant to be doing a fringe festival but i'm, I'm <laughs> trying uh, despite uh, edinburgh is a very unhealthy place to be because i'm trying to get in shape for a week trip to Kalymnos in greece nice so like all the meet- routes going to be 60 odd meters um and uh it's similar to stand up in the respect that it takes you forces you not to be in your head it forces you to just to be right in that moment because you can't really think about much else you can't worry about things while you're clinging onto a rock face mm. 60 meters off the ground um and there's also a huge psychological element to it um and that's the hardest bit i think um strength and uh, everything is um physical strength and technique is all a bit secondary because if your head game isn't together then you won't be able to do it yeah and that's what i'm working on at the moment i'm uh, doing doing fall training at the moment which is terrifying Shit.
0: how are you do- so what's fall training
1: uh, well it, it's different types of climbing uh lead climbing where you take the rope up with you you clip it into bolts up the rock face so if you were to fall, you fall the length of the slack in the rope system and down to the, the clip. Mm-hmm. So you land somewhere below the clip. And it, if you're high enough and you're nowhere near the floor, you're it's perfectly safe. If you B layer, the bloke managing the old woman. Yeah, um. <laughs> that's it. We're <laughs> um, an inclusive first, podcast. <laughs> well, women, women make better climbers in some respects because they don't generally they don't have the as much strength as the men. Mm. Men will muscle their way through climbs in the most ungainly hideous fashion whereas many women have to do have to work actually at technique and then you get women who just can do both you get women who are stronger than blokes obviously yeah. i'm talking generally i think that where if you have uh two new climbers women tend to be better at technique and um can it's, it's only the strength for it becomes a bit of a is where the difference lies, um, but yeah. So with with falling, you can if your b layer knows what they're doing. It's actually safer to to fall higher, um, and it, it can be perfectly safe. The trouble is, uh, we've got millions of years of evolution telling us that yeah. falling is wrong. So your head is screaming at you not to. Uh, so you have to fight this instinct and manage the fear because you can't eradicate the fear and you wouldn't want to. No. fear is something that keeps you safe, but exactly. you've got to manage it. So I've, uh, my last uh, coaching session I had, my instructor, she was like, uh, okay, climb up to the fourth clip, then just let go. Climb up to the fifth clip, let go. And I went all the way up the wall just letting go. Nice. <laughs> and then we got right to the top and I let go. And I, honestly, my I, uh, palms are sweating, my heart was going... Uh, but it was weird. Is that I used to be able to just jump off any route, uh, no problem, especially indoors because indoors is probably a controlled environment. Mm. You know, you're not going to get rockfall. Uh, but then, if you don't train it for a while, it kind of goes. Or if you have a bit of a scary experience, then y- your confidence goes. You've got to keep on topping up your, your falling confidence. And I it's think like, very strange.
0: And I think it's generally as we get older, we get more fearful of things.
1: Mm. You're right, and the key, you should see the seven or eight-year-olds they have in the classes learning to climb, because they, they weigh nothing, uh, they are too young to produce lactic acid, so yeah. their muscles don't burn or ache, so they can climb forever, and they have no fear. Yeah. Because they totally trust in the rope and the person at the bottom, and uh, yeah, if you start young and learn good habits, then that's that. If I'd started climbing when I was eight and kept at it, I'd be obviously much better. Mm. Uh, but yeah I love a good bit of climbing and I think I need something stand-ups takes over your life and climbing takes over your life so my theory is if I do both of them they'll balance each other out because you've got to be a bit obsessive to get good at anything but there is a line where you start just ruining your life so you've got to are, but there's more to life than stand up yeah Do and, you just, and it's you've got to remember that even when you're in the mid, excuse me uh, even when you're in the middle of edinburgh yeah and a, and a hiccuping fit even when you're in the yeah. middle of edinburgh then um you've got to really remember that there's more to life than this and a lot of this is it's an illusion we've all come together and decided that this is the important thing this part. yeah um, like yeah that
0: is i find that quite difficult to um remember that there is in about a few well what Come Sunday uh, after uh, Sunday at uh, about seven thirty, seven
1: forty-five. Edinburgh yeah, will just go back to being quite uh, a nice this, city, this will, yeah. <laughs> and all the Scots will come back and go, "Oh, well, thank God that's over." I wish oh. they'd taken their rubbish with them. Oh yeah, bloody hell! It's but it is an amazing thing
0: that we're oh, part yeah. of at the moment.
1: Absolutely, it's this it's this whirlwind of creativity <laughs> and just the sheer variety. Of, it's staggering. It blows your mind. You just think we're sitting in a flat right now and just a couple of half a mile away the biggest arts festival in the world is happening it's just it's staggering how sort of DIY and put together the whole thing is. Mm. uh, It's just madness.
0: Are you staying with other comics at the moment?
1: No, I'm staying on my own in a hall of residence. Nice. And I like it that way. It's it's good. i would get on so well with uh, Joe Baines and Peter Merriman, particularly Joe, because I've known Joe longer, uh, Mm. who I'm doing doing the show with them at half past midnight at City Cafe, Global Comedy Club, we're calling ourselves. Nice. And they're... um, It's just nice. You need your own space, I think.
0: Like, like, honestly, moving... up, Well, getting a little flat on my own, um, about 20 minutes away from the city was the best decision I think I've made all year.
1: That's the right distance. I mean, if uh, the, the Calgate Hostel would be amazing and convenient, but you're in the middle of the throng. I, mean, mm. there's, I don't know how people sleep. Um,
0: um, I was I stayed at one hostel for the first couple of nights because the guy who was renting me this place wasn't here. It was fine, it was a nice hostel, but after the second night I was like, right, I need my own space.
1: Yeah, I do. I think it's very, very important. And uh yeah, you know, I had a lovely morning on my own, uh, drinking coffee and listening to the Consumer Hour. It's just a you know like nice little of bubble bath for my brain to uh, mm. to unwind. And you've uh, got to got to try and look after yourself. Mm.
0: And I feel like there's no greater feeling at the moment than at the end of a gig, walking away from the city centre. Yeah. <laughs> Like, just knowing that you don't have to be a part of.
1: It's always you know, nice to have. I stayed out very late last night, but it was nice to at least I had a way out. Yeah. And I wasn't dependent on anyone to get me home, and I could walk back to my little room in halls anytime yeah. I liked. Yeah. Uh, that is very empowering. So, <laughs> Harry, Enfield and Chums. Yes, one of my favourites. It's, uh, it's just so silly. You've seen it. Yeah, of course. Um, loads of money. already <laughs> <Hi, man. laughs> uh, he, he works to a formula. Yeah. Uh, it is always regional accent, catchphrase, Lots of shouting and yeah. repeat, but honestly, I think it's pan wettingly funny. Oh, of course. I mean, loads of money. Who's your? I, I I think they were very true at the time. These stereotypes that was mm. very much the up and coming yuppie yeah. who would come into money very quickly and didn't quite know what to do with it. Mm. Um, I just think that the scene where he drives to the countryside and just throws wads of cash at people <laughs> and gets thrown out of the village pub, is <laughs> I mean, just so absurd. But there's also in those characters, there's a tiny grain of truth. Um, I
0: think the now, uh, for me, this is going to sound so clichéd, right? But for me, his greatest creation has got to be Kevin.
1: Well, it is. It's certainly the most universal. And also it was also the least cartoonish. Yeah. Like, loads of money is kind of... And uh, the bloke that goes, only me! <laughs> they're all They do one or two things, and they're not really rounded characters. They're kind of just a cardboard cutout cartoon thing mm. but Kevin had a bit of depth to him and, yeah. like, his relationship with his parents and with um, with uh, Perry that, <laughs> Perry's a letter that movie yeah. the fact they got a whole film out of that just shows that what good characters they were yeah and that film's quality I'll, I'll stand by that oh same um, same everything's just funny in it. Oh no, the Germans are coming. <laughs> everywhere. They all march in formation onto the dance floor.
0: It's a floater. <laughs> You're not
1: my fellow DJ. <laughs> it, is, it is phenomenally funny. I, uh, I do enjoy that. Believe it or not, I watched that film with my parents. Really? Yeah. Oh, when I was, nice. When I, was, um, I must have been quite young at the time. Well, it
0: came out in 2000.
1: Okay, I was 10 in
0: 2000. Yeah. Um, It's coming kind out of So, I just love the scene where we're introduced to Kevin, Right. Because it's his birthday, right? And he's 12, yes. years, and he's 12 years old. And he's right? all innocent. He's all innocent. And then he's about <laughs> to become a teenager, right? And then midnight happens. And then he just
1: Morse. goes and into <laughs> it. his parents will be familiar with that across the world. Yeah. Oh.
0: Like, it's just, I just think that was just a magical moment, to be honest. Um, because, as you said, parents can relate to it. Teenagers can probably relate to it, even though they'll probably say, "No, I'm not that's no, not me." But it's great, and like, the catchphrases that he comes up with for Kevin were just insane. Like, "No, not, <laughs> that is so I'm unfair. I'm
1: not, I'm not your slave." <laughs> uh, my dad says that he used to for a very long time. He used that if what, you, you ask my dad to do anything I am oh, Not your
0: slave. I am not your slave. <laughs>
1: And it would always be. oh, I love that. It was always in, in the in the Harry Enfield sketch. It was always something like put your own plate away or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was something very reasonable. Uh, but then. Harry Enfield is a genius. Oh yeah, he's very clever, and it's just it's just so mental. <laughs> the slob's. What's your favourite type of cake? <laughs> Brown. <laughs> uh, it's just so stupid. I I like. Comedy, where, well, there was a bit of a point they made with yeah. some of those characters, and I guess Tory Boy was, uh, yeah, um, uh, was uh, making a political point. But for the most part, it was humour first with those things. Yeah, that's what I think a lot of programs miss these days. It's not just. The goal isn't just to make people laugh anymore.
0: No, it's about to make us make them think. But I think we've kind of lost the art of just making people laugh. Yeah, if laugh.
1: I wanted to think, I would have gone back to university. Yeah. I don't want to think ever again. No, fuck it. I uh, yeah, to... I want to become progressively more ignorant. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> By the like, time I'm 35, I want to know nothing. That's it. Like <laughs> that's that, And then you'll be happy. I'm clocking out. Yeah. Um, what was I going to
0: say? Right, so... Where can they see you, Rodders? <laughs>
1: um, oh, well, well, is this going out imminently?
0: It's going to go out tomorrow.
1: Oh, wow. Well, um, every morning, half past midnight, at City Cafe in the room called 90s. It's a karaoke room. It's very snazzy. It's got a mural of the Spice Girls. Nice. Myself, uh, topical comedian Peter Merriment, and uh, the Indian wonder man Joe, Joe Baines. Baines. So I just gave him that title. He's, he is a wonderful man, though. He, he, can, he can now do... A handstand push-up. I don't know why he he wanted to do such a thing, but... Because he's
0: Joe fucking Baines!
1: (laughs) I tell (laughs) tell the story to absolutely everybody, even people who haven't met him, but do you know how he saved on his Edinburgh Fringe accommodation last year? How? He got membership to a 24-hour gym. What? (laughs) Yeah, uh, not every night, but he did spend a few nights sleeping in the gym. So, so, yeah, <laughs> if you want madness like that, uh, we're at half past midnight, and I'm popping up doing spots all over the place. So, go to doing your show tonight. Yeah, you go are doing to, my show tonight, uh, yeah. Rodders.com, S.com. Click gigs, they're all listed there with a nice Google Map link as well. So, you can walk there or nice. whatever. And uh, I've got a podcast as well where we, we talk all things comedy, and uh, you, you'll hear what I said to that woman in the After Dark Nightclub. And, that download was, the latest and episode.
0: that's called the Stand and Liver podcast, isn't yes. it?
1: yeah if you go into itunes or wherever you normally get your podcasts uh just type in stand and deliver comedy podcast i'll be there all right man all mm. right thanks Cheers, for ha- mate. thanks to you oh yeah that was, wasn't
0: it? that was really good like that was yeah oh shit we're still recording Ah, uh, thank you brothers for coming on the show and thank you guys for listening to this this far um as always, you can catch me, Duffy Connors and Shanan Jahan, at Drunken Murphy's Bar at 645 pm for an hour if you want to laugh. Um, you can also catch me on Twitter at your boy Gibbo. You can also catch me on Instagram at GibboGram1. Alright, guys, I'll speak to you soon. Bye bye.